one of the things that was really incredible about the making of A Thousand Ways Part One, when we were developing that show, we were reaching out to people um, to uh, to have phone conversations. They were people that we knew, but people who did not know each other. And one of the things that was so remarkable as we were making that show was knowing that we were bringing two people together who we knew from different avenues of our life and we know on so many levels are so completely different. And yet they were, they were making something together. They were making something together. They were creating a piece of theater and they were holding something together. The image in my mind was like they're actually holding each other and they don't even know it. And that is only happening maybe because they don't see each other. Welcome to Stories from the Top, a production of A2SF. In this episode, we hear from Abigail Browdy and Michael Silverstone, otherwise known as the theater company 600 Highwaymen, about their newest piece, A Thousand Ways, which A2SF and the University of Michigan Museum of Art are co-presenting. Abby and Michael make live art through a variety of radical approaches that illuminates the inherent poignancy of people coming together. Here, they talk about their struggles of working during a pandemic, learning to embrace different perspectives, and diminishing the divide between people who otherwise might not talk to each other. And now, Abigail Browdy and Michael Silverstone. We started working together in 2009 um, after long periods of actually working independently uh, as really an experiment. I think that we were both on separate trajectories and kind of looking over our shoulders and sort of seeing what the other person was doing and both inspired and curious um, about how there could be a possible intersection between our two pathways. Um, we're also a married couple and, um, in 2009 we got married. So it sort of was a overlap of our professional, creative, personal, domestic spaces that we continue to live in some kind of Venn diagram of to this day. We were both a little uh, artistically unsatisfied, I think. Um, and we were at that point where we, we were both, we were artistically satisfied, but we also had a lot of energy to try to, um, try to achieve the kind of work and the kind of, um, and the kind of working process that, that we had in mind. So I think it came out of a dissatisfaction from the work that we were making, um, and the, the rooms that we were in, um, and those rooms were, were rooms that felt like they were the right thing, given the trajectory of, you know, moving to New York, uh, going to undergraduate um, college for, for theater school, and then being thrust out into the world. We were on this sort of trajectory, but somehow there was something that wasn't quite right. And, and then on a, on a personal level, we were really obsessed with, uh, with our work and with the projects we were doing, but we were we were not spending enough time, we were not spending enough time together. So I think we had this idea. Well, could we somehow um, could we kind of kill two birds with one stone? Could we make this kind of work together that somehow um, allowed us to be together 
and also allowed us to um, to be holding a, a kind of theater that we were looking to make, but we couldn't quite figure out how to yet. When the pandemic came upon us, it felt like, okay, this is actually a container. This is actually a limitation that can help, um, that helped us visualize the work or bring the work into, help us realize the sort of final phase of the work. And at that point, that's when we moved it into this idea of a triptych, into three parts. I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe like we all had this moment right, where we thought, okay, we're going to be shut down for three days. We're going to be shut down for a week. Oh, we'll be, it'll be two weeks. Oh, okay, we've got locked down for a month. And then it was all of a sudden the sense of sort of time took on this taffy elastic stretch. And it was like, oh... Oh, we're in this for a haul. This is a, this is a, our relationship to time is going to change. And so the idea of, we've never made a piece in three parts, but the idea of can the piece somehow be responsive and speak to this amount of time that is at the moment unforeseeable of how long it's going to last, because this is, you know, like last spring, last summer. And what if the piece sort of arcs time with us, alongside us? It's not that you, and just to say it about the the three parts of A Thousand Ways, it's not um, a narrative arc. You don't have to, um, they can be experienced as autonomous works. But but I think that this, especially as the piece is asking questions about proximity to one another, about strangeness and about, this encountering and this intimacy and proximity with a stranger, how do we also, how can we dance with the notion that's, that got put on our plates with the pandemic, which is while we actually have to really consider our strangeness to each other. I also think our work is about the contradiction of two people and two minds. The, um, it's a it's it's about that we disagree. It's about that there are two voices at the making something, and I think we try to find ways that are not about finding compromise, um, but actually more contradiction. And can the work embrace multiplicity of modes or tr- like? What happens when Michael insists that this thing is a part of the piece and I, I insist that this thing is a part of the piece? Maybe that's more exciting than finding where those two things sort of lessen in their strength and blend together. And so trying to embrace, I guess, a yes and sensibility as opposed to a softening. Abby and I work together not because we agree. We are very different. We almost always have different ideas. It's not that we choose to work together because we're the same being and we like the harmony of it. Um, it's, it's, um, it isn't that way. It's challenging. It's messy. It's, um, it's, it's difficult. But we try to put the contradictions into the work um, and uh, we have very different ways of, of going about the world 
I mean, we, I, I think we have similar ways of going about the world, but we're also really different. So I, I don't know. I've, I think that um, our, our work also as, as, as a sort of thematic concern is about the complication of being together, right? It's not about this is a beautifully delivered story, executed perfectly, easy to digest. We walk in, we have the experience, we walk out, it all feels clean and cookie cutter. I think that our work asks a lot of questions and doesn't solve a lot for audiences. Um, and I think that that is very similar to how we work. And I think that in general, we need to make more space for contradiction in relationships and making, I mean, that seems to be where we're at right now um, in this moment in time is like, how do we how do we be together? And how do we see across this divide when there is a divide? I mean, you can you can you can take that in any way you want. And I mean, most most obviously from a political perspective, you know, we we share different points of view. We see the world differently. We don't vote for the same people, and yet we do. We are neighbors, and so the answer is not let's pretend we don't exist and let's never work together. It's it's how are we going to work together and how are we going to see across this divide the divide because the divide is real. And it isn't just as easy as, oh, I'm only going to be with people who I understand. I'm only going to be with people who share the same ideology or who work creatively in the exact same way I do, because that got us into, you know, from a, that, that got us into the trouble we're in now, which is the, the, that, we're, that we, we tend to want to go into our own bubble. One of the things that I've always personally found to be really difficult is what to do with an idea when you have it. And it's always felt counterintuitive, or I should say, it's always felt um, so much easier to be in this blend of, of personal and professional and artistic because it can all happen live as opposed to, oh, I, I just had this thought, let's make a meeting. It's the weekend now. Let's talk next Thursday. By that point, the, the synapses are gone the spark is gone, um, and maybe I could sit down and write an email, but you're not going to hear it in the way it comes out of my mouth and how my voice sounds when I say it. So we're not going to be in real time and real space together. You're not going to be live with me in the idea making. And, you know, you know, the creative process is often like throwing a hot potato, like back and forth. Like I very rarely come up, come upon a fully formed idea um, most of most of my thinking is extremely fragmented when I'm lucky, um, and so oftentimes, like I really depend on being able to say something to Abby and for her to kick it back and for us to keep working on it over the course of a four day process where we're also uh, cooking and doing the laundry and that kind of thing. We had been. Researching, developing, tinkering with, um, curious about what became A Thousand Ways for, for a couple of years prior to the pandemic even sort of showing up. Um, and mostly that was that we were, we were interested in, you know, the, our piece, The Fever, is performed with the audience, but there are a handful of performers who help guide it along. We are two of them, and then there's another three people. Um, but we then got sort of, interested in can we do something that actually there is no other 
physical person there guiding this forward? Can it just be the, the privacy of this encounter of the audience with someone else? And can it be super intimate? Meaning, can it? what happens when we work in a one-on-one setting? And we got really excited about just the simplicity of, of one-on-one. Um, not to be too long-winded about this, but I think part of that original curiosity came from our piece, The Record, which is performed by a large ensemble of people, um, approximately 50 people. But when we make that show, Michael and I rehearse with the performers one-on-one. Um, all the rehearsals are are just individual. And I always really, I love watching the final performances, of course, but the process of that show is really satisfying. There's something so intimate and um, transformative about this time that you kind of dedicate just with this other person in the middle of this empty room to just work on this thing together. And sometimes I feel with the record that actually we got the best seats in the house because we got to just have this process. And the process is just as, to me, graceful and gorgeous as the final show. Um, anyway, so long story short is that I think we were we were really excited about this idea of... of um, just two people together doing something. The way that we came into involving audience, audiences into the work was because we couldn't turn the lights off in our early shows. We were, we were working out of found spaces. We weren't working in traditional theaters. So we were working in a church basement. We worked in a bingo hall and in, in, a, in a recreation room. In all of those early experiments that we were making um, in those first few years of working together, we didn't actually have the ability to turn the lights off over the audience. And so once we dealt with that, that sort of problem and that limitation, the next thing that happened was we realized it didn't make sense for the actors to be pretending there's a fourth wall. It didn't make sense for them to be folded in and talking only to each other. It seemed like it seemed like a lie, like coming into a room where there's a chair and sitting on the oh forget that. Um it just didn't make any sense. It just it did not make any sense to pretend that the audience isn't here because we can't turn the lights off. So why are we pretending you're not here? So if that's the case, maybe that means I can look at you. And maybe you're looking at me and maybe Maybe that, maybe that is a collaboration. And maybe that brings us into the liveness of the room, which is to say, you as the audience, you are writing this story. You are watching this and you are putting it together. And, and I'm here in front of you. I'm being seen by you. Um, and so I think it really came out of the limitation that we actually just couldn't turn the lights off. And then, then when we actually found ourselves in theaters where we could turn the lights off, it felt really wrong when we got ourselves into very traditional spaces, when we worked, um, you know, in a major opera space in Salzburg, when we worked at, you know, a traditional theater, uh, you know, at the public theater, it, it, we never thought, okay, now that we're here, let's turn the lights off. It always felt like, let's keep them on. That was so exciting. That actually sort of took the work into its own new dimension once we were in non-found spaces, which we were doing just as a survival technique at first. Um, and then it was like, wow, actually we can treat 
this large theater in the Netherlands, like the city opera house, or we can treat the Martinson stage at the public also like a found space, that this is actually a civic room, not, um, not a fictional room where we're coming to peep into a, um, a jewel box of a story, but we all belong here. Everyone who showed up here is a part, an integral part of this. And can we treat this room, which typically we sit in the dark in, we, the audience sit in the dark in, can we turn the light, can we keep the lights on and how does it explode our relationship both to the room itself, but also to everyone else who's here with us. We both wince at the phrase audience participation. And in fact, I would, you'll see, I I wouldn't say we make works with audience participation. Maybe that's just a kind of snobbery, but I'm also um, aware of the trappings of that phrase. And all of a sudden we have everyone, we have associative definition of what we think audience participation is. And it usually involves being the butt of a joke, being made fun of, um, being out of the, being outside of a secret, being outside of a set of rules and being sort of, um, poked at. Um, and gosh, I can't think of anything I'd like to do less, uh, than be an audience in that room or be a maker of that kind of work. But I do think that um, we are looking for ways in which the audience is invited in um, without a prescriptive um, hierarchy, meaning you don't know, but we know. And we're, we need your participation. And not only do we need your participation, but we're going to make fun of you. I think that's the complete antithesis of what we're after. I think we're looking at it as an invitation. Will you do this with us? Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> and that's also okay. Um, like M- Michael referenced earlier, we're not after harmony. Um, we're not after um, utopia. I think we're, we're always interested in rough, hard edges. And that, that, like how we elbows and knees our way through being together is actually more interesting to us than perfect harmony. And I think that the work, you know, particularly A Thousand Ways, the triptych of A Thousand Ways, and our piece, The Fever, which both um, have an explicit kind of request, I'd say, from the audience, the attending audience, um, to help make the thing come into being. I think we're always looking at how does... Um, how is the relationship reciprocal? Like, how does the the piece separate from the audience, how does it hold space for the audience member, but also how does the audience member help bring it into being? That it's a very, um, that it's a mutual aid um, uh, situation. We both need each other. Uh, we're not saying, here's a phone number, call someone, have a conversation with a stranger, you just do whatever you want. Like, it's not um it's not a dating game um and it's not just we're not just setting up folks on blind dates like there is a there is a form to it i think we're both fairly formalist makers um but the piece also needs the audience to come in and make it happen and without it it's doesn't exist I think the real experience is one in intimacy and closeness and the feeling of goosebumps and the feeling of um, 
being live and electric with another person that you don't know. And even though we've talked a lot here about um, sort of the, the, the maybe the sociopolitical aspects of that, um, truly it's really about the electric, raw, incredible charge that happens when you are allowed time to gaze at somebody and be in a kind of conversation, an emotional connection with them prompted by um, a a script, right? Because part two is led by a script, a script that you know right from the beginning is going to hold you. And so our hope is that... um, that you, you, you sit at a table, you meet somebody across the divide, you, um, you read the script, which guides you along the way, and that you come out of it with your heart beating, with, um, with, with, with sort of like a sense of like um, um, energy on your skin and this sense of like, I don't know how to name what just happened, um, because it was because it was emotional and because it was something that I haven't experienced in a long time. I'm sure I'll think about it and process it, but right now I'm just feeling it. And so that is what I want to achieve. I just simply want to achieve the gift of a feeling. <laughs> and that feeling may be complicated um, and and layered and may go through many different many different um, um, planes. But I think the most immediate plane is that was really exciting. And so I think that's what we want to achieve. And we do spend a lot of time hovering over our work, thinking about what it means from a sort of dramaturgical level. But my hope is that the audience might, I really hope that an audience is not thinking about that. And so um, that, that feels really important to me. I don't, we don't make our work for audiences to think about anything. We want them to feel. That is the goal. Thank you for listening to this production of A2SF. We would like to thank our team, including our interns, associate producer Bonnie Bremer, and the sound engineer, Evan Starr. Our marketing and communications manager, Natalie Robbins. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Nadim Azam and mixed and mastered by Elliot Saba. Me, I'm programming and operations manager, James Carter. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us, and share the joy with someone you love. The Ann Arbor Summer Festival, A2SF, is supported by a generous community of individuals, foundations, and local businesses. Please consider donating to the festival at a2sf.org slash donate.